how do you mitigate your risk? Montel's forecasting services cover risks from hours ahead to years ahead. We welcome you to hedge your market exposure with our diverse forecasting portfolio. Contact us at sales@montelnews.com for more info and a free trial. Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. Today on the pod, we'll be talking about a subject that has rocketed to the top of the news headlines. In fact, it is a topic that has a fascinating mix of geopolitics, the involvement of world leaders, massive infrastructure build, alleged clandestine activity, and Europe's wholesale gas supply and questions of its energy dependence. Yes, listeners, we're talking about Nord Stream 2. The Russian gas pipeline to Germany was supposed to come online this year. Those plans were set back by the threat of US sanctions. Now, a poisoning scandal surrounding a Russian opposition figure may prove enough to halt the contested project, just kilometres away from the German mainland. I'm Richard Sverson, and joining me on the show to talk about this today is Hans Koenig of consultancy Aurora Energy Research in Berlin. Welcome to you, Hans. Thank you very much for having me. And our own correspondent, Nathan Wittkop in Bonn. Hi, how's it going? Let's start, uh, guys, by talking about the current situation in Germany. You have the Russian opposition politician, Alexei Navalny, and it's become quite a hot political potato now. Do you think, Hans, if I can put it directly to you, do you think this pipeline will be cancelled or completed? We still have it in our central scenario to be completed, and I think it's still more likely uh, to be completed, uh, completed than not. But there's a significant chance that it will be delayed further. So I think our previous expectation was for it to be finished over the second half of 2021 to be fully online beginning of 2022. But now with, uh, with the additional pressure that is ramping up potential further sanctions, that could be delayed further. Is this what you're hearing as well, Nathan? I mean, you, you published a, a story, you published a number of stories this week on the Nord Stream uh, 2 pipeline. Do you think pressure is building in Germany, you know, opposition to the completion of it only as we said, as I said in the intro, only a few kilometers away from from the German shore. Yeah, I think it's a fairly common expectation that it will be finished, that it will aid, that it will be finished, but that it will be finished a lot later, perhaps late next year, before we see significant flows there. I think it's, it's definitely true that it has brought about the first wobble in Germany's official support for the, the project. I mean, it would have been unheard of to imagine a senior figure in government say that uh, they were open to cancel or, or at least questioning the project, changing stance, as, as the foreign minister said at the weekend. Um, and he had the backing of Merkel on this. Only, I think, a week prior to that, Merkel had come out in favour of the of the gas pipeline again, taking questions on exactly this subject. And, um, you know, she repeated the line that the government has been saying for years, that it's a commercial deal and Germany sees no reason to block this. But uh, yeah, the, the current situation really, I think, puts Germany between a rock and a hard place because it's between trying to maintain its relatively good relations with Russia on the one hand and trying to maintain its its historically good relations with the United States on the other. And it's it's in the middle of a bit of a political football, I think. Yeah. I mean, how do you see this 
this geopolitical ball game between Merkel, Trump and Putin playing out, Hans? I think it's an interesting one because in a way, if you think about it, I don't think that we got that much new information over the past couple of weeks because even over the past couple of years, it was pretty well known that Russian opposition politicians don't live very safe lives. I mean, there was the assassination of Boris Nemtsov, there are various other similar cases, or maybe not quite as extreme as assassinations, but certainly uh, they weren't being treated very well. And that was all, that was common knowledge that was known, right, even for, even for the past couple of years. So I think one, one should at least ask the question whether the Navalny case is not now also being used opportunistically in a way, as a way of shifting against the pipeline and shifting shifting course and a little bit also giving into U.S. pressure without actually being uh, appearing to give into U.S. Uh, to U.S. pressure and kind of using the Navalny case as an explanation of it because I don't think we learned that much new uh, over the past couple of weeks. But do then do you think Hans that Merkel's sort of playing uh, a bit of a waiting game here that over maybe in a two or three weeks the the row would have blown over and there'll be other things in focus you know potentially the, the, the election in the States, which is also um, quite, a, we'll come back to maybe later in the pod. At least that would be a very Merkel thing to do. Like she is, she is, she's the master of, uh, of holdout games and of basically not committing to either side until it becomes inevitable or until basically one side clearly wins out. So I think we will continue to not have clear statements on this from, uh, from Merkel for a, for a couple of weeks at least, and, and then she'll probably fall in line one way, uh, one way or another. Is she getting support in Brussels for her position, or do you think uh, Brussels could exert any kind of pressure here? The difficulty with Brussels is that the member states are so uh, are so divided, and uh, of course the the, the Commission has been uh, has been critical for quite a long time with the uh, with, with the guest directive and so forth. But because you have a couple of the major member states who have been supporting it quite strongly, not just Germany but also France, Austria, the Netherlands, I don't think the decisive action on this will come from Brussels. But the the question is rather, will Germany withdraw its support for the project? And if that happens, then that also opens an avenue for the uh, for the European Commission, for instance, to go against the project more effectively. Maybe maybe we could go into a little bit of, of detail here on, on two points. One is, I mean, as we've said, Germany's historically backed the project. Um, this has brought out some of those who have, have always been against the project have become more vocal now. And as you've said, we don't really have any fresh information. What's always struck me about Nord Stream 2 is is a lot of the arguments for or against seem to be superficial relative to what's actually going on. Like, you know, proponents of it say that it's it's necessary for European energy security. Detractors say it's it's a threat to European energy security. So maybe we can just get your view as, a, as an energy professional Where's the truth here? Is this something that's a threat to energy security or, or is it is it irrelevant? It's a very good question. And of course, about 50% of the listeners are probably going to disagree with, with what I say, irrespective of what I'm going to say. But uh, I think from a pure supply security perspective, the answer is a clear no in terms of like, do we need this pipeline? Uh, and we've, we've done some modeling around this. So Europe right now is being uh, supplied uh, supplied safely and reliably through the existing system. A lot of it comes through Ukraine, of course. And uh, what we see Nord Stream 2 doing is basically uh, shifting flows from the Ukrainian corridor, from the from the Brotherhood system to the Baltic Sea, and not actually adding that much of additional flows. There's, there's going to be a little bit of additional flows coming because of Nord Stream 2, 
but the incremental flows that are coming from Russia are actually, actually quite limited. And, and that comes on top of, or that comes into a world where Europe is basically oversupplied with gas import capacities. We have around 230 BCM of LNG import capacities uh, in Europe. Um, and they've been, for the past couple of years, they've generally been uh, utilized significantly below 50%. 2019 was a bit of an exception because uh, LNG got so cheap. But even just there, just in the LNG import terminals, you have two Nord Stream 2 pipelines, which has a, uh, which has a capacity of 55 or will have a capacity of 55 billion cubic meters sitting there, which could be used to meet demand. So Europe is not supply constrained from an import capacity perspective. And uh, we don't see European supply security being endangered if not if Nord Stream 2 isn't completed. I think another important point here that often gets kind of lost in the, the broader discussion, people sometimes object and say, oh, but look, Germany's phasing out nuclear energy, it's phasing out coal, it's going to have to get its electricity from somewhere, it can't just get it from renewables yet. But I think an important point also made, repeated on Thursday in, in a commentary for Die Zeit by Felix Matters, an energy economist, is... Um, Look, um, overwhelmingly, gas is used for heating, especially in Germany. Uh, only, I believe, a fifth of it is used for electricity production. And actually, the, the increased use of, of gas for electricity will pale next to the decreased use for heating if we get serious about climate change. Maybe you can talk a bit about demand, expected demand, versus the fact that Europe's producing less and less of its own gas. Very happy to. And I, I also read that article that if you speak German, I would highly recommend our listeners read it. It's, it puts it very well, I think. So as Felix says in the article, only uh, only less than a quarter of uh, German gas consumption actually it goes to the power sector. And the other sectors, um, at least if we take climate action seriously, are on a strong downward uh, trajectory over the next decades. And yes, there might be some increase uh, or there will be some increase uh, in gas consumption from the from the power sector as we phase out nuclear, as we phase out coal and uh, uh, and renewables won't be able to compensate that at least in, in a kind of a 10, 10, 15 year time frame. But that will probably or very likely not lead to overall increases in gas consumption in a, in a 10, 15 year time frame. So, I mean, and again, we've, we've done some modeling on this and the most optimistic scenarios for German gas consumption over the next 20 years have it broadly remaining constant. And this is really a world in which there's not a lot more ambition on climate change mitigation. It's really a kind of a business as usual world. If we get into the European Green Deal, if we significantly ramp up uh, renovation rates in houses, efficiency measures in industry and so forth, transition towards green gases and hydrogen and so forth, I don't think there's a plausible world in which gas consumption remains at current levels. They will have, they will come down, and they will come down more strongly than domestic production is declining. And then, of course, you have further LNG terminals, in particular, uh, under construction. You have further pipeline, uh, pipelines under construction being planned. So, I don't see a realistic way in which uh, in which Europe will be undersupplied with gas in a ten-year time frame, even uh, without Nord Stream two being completed. That's very interesting, Hans, because from the outside, if you look at Germany, you see massive renewables build out. You know, its, it's green credentials are, are there, at least on the surface, for many to see. Yet it's supporting this big gas infrastructure, which will lock in this fossil fuel for decades to come. Why is there such broad support for the pipeline in Germany? Could you explain that? Because from, for many outsiders, it seems a little bit difficult to understand. 
It's a very interesting question. And uh, and I think actually the economic reasons that are often given for it in terms of Germany becoming becoming a gas hub and so forth, I think these are these are generally overstated uh, in, in, ter- in terms of the actual sway they have on the decisions that are that are being made. I think in Berlin politics, it's really it's really viewed as a as a means to keep the dialogue and the cooperation with Russia going in some way. Of course, a lot of this had a lot of this has been ramped down over the past over the past years with the sanctions being imposed and so forth. And this is kind of viewed as a lifeline, quite 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 literally, for Russian German relations. I think more so on the on the left of the German political spectrum. And uh, I think there's a uh, there's obviously the quite interesting role our uh, our, firm, our former Chancellor Gerhard Schröder plays there. But to some extent, and I think in a in a in a more pragmatic way, also by Merkel. I mean, if we can go into the into the opposition to it, it's been very strong in the states. Um, and there's, you know, it's not just Trump who's against it. It's also the Obama presidency was also firmly against it. And there's bipartisan support for, you know, a hard line against Nord Stream two potential sanctions, etc. Could you explain that a bit, Hans? What, where, why is there such? clear opposition in, in the United States? Is it purely from a selfish perspective to boost its own LNG exports? I think that's part of the reason, but not all of it. I think to, to understand the US opposition to this, I think we can, we can actually go back 40 to 50 years because US opposition to European energy imports from Russia or from the Soviet Union formerly isn't anything new. Even in the 60s and 70s, actually, the, the US administrations back then tried very hard to, to, to stop the construction of the Druzhba uh, oil pipeline, of the, of the Brotherhood gas pipeline through Ukraine, uh, lobbied very hard in West Germany back then against the supply of pipes for, the, for, for these pipelines, which, uh, some of which were actually built by, by West German industrial companies uh, and, and, and so forth. So opposition, U.S. opposition to European reliance and especially Western European reliance on, on Russian energy is, is nothing new. And in a way, this kind of this bipartisan opposition to the project is a continuation of that. So I, th- I, think, I think that's the first point. The second point is that, of course, I mean, what changed through Trump? Obviously, the tone and the fierceness with which this opposition is being communicated. So uh, yes, Obama was already against it, but he probably would not have imposed sanctions against NATO allies. And, uh, and of course, the, the whole tonality of it was very different. So I think that's a clear change that, that came in to Trump and that, and that may, to some extent, become better again if he doesn't, if he doesn't get reelected. To what extent do economic interests play a role? I think they amplify this general opposition because the American gas industry has been struggling over the past couple of years because prices have been have been very low. There's been a glut in the market. And this gas, well, it doesn't need to go somewhere, but obviously they, they want the gas to go somewhere. So opening up markets for this gas has amplified the opposition and made it more made it more drastic, made it more vocal. But I think they the US would have been against it and have been against it even before the fracking boom. Although it's unlikely, we could talk perhaps about the ramifications of a cancellation at this late stage. I mean, the pipeline has all of its permits. It's illegally allowed to go to head, go ahead. It's uh, It's got just 150 kilometers, I think, out of, what, uh, 1,250 to go before it lands in Germany. What impact would a cancellation have perhaps on two things you can comment uh, on European gas prices and, well, perhaps 
on, well, the legal and, and diplomatic consequences. So on the gas prices, what, it, what is often said is that, okay, uh, Russian gas is much cheaper than, for instance, LNG in terms of its uh, production costs. And therefore, we will see a big shift in the gas prices if this pipeline isn't completed. I think that's a difficult argument to make for, for two reasons. On the, on, on the one hand, as I said, Russian gas flows actually don't change all that much through the completion of, uh, of Nord Stream 2. It's more of a shift from the Ukrainian corridor towards North Stream. The other thing is, uh, is that you have to look into how, how gas prices um, are set in Europe and what is marginal, and that is LNG. So even, even the Russian exporters, Gazprom, are tracking in their pricing the prices of LNG that are, that are, that are coming in, the spot prices in Europe. So if you replace some Russian gas with some LNG, actually uh, with some more LNG, actually the impact on, on, on the price level won't be all that large. So this is, this is kind of the, the high-level explanation for what we see in our modeling, uh, which is that uh, if you maintain the current Ukrainian infrastructure as it is and, uh, and you don't complete Nord Stream 2, uh, there will be, in our expectation, barely any effect on European gas prices, significantly below half a euro per megawatt hour. If there's a significant reduction in Ukrainian tra uh, transit capacities and we, we, kind of, we have to shift towards LNG and other sources uh, significantly, that could be closer to one euro per megawatt hour, but that's still in the grand scheme of things. And compared to the swings in prices we've seen over the past couple of, a couple of years, that's still not very much. Politically or legally, uh, it's, I, of course, I can, I can only speculate there. So politically, diplomatically, I mean, it, there would clearly be a, a big fallout between Germany and Russia. While it would perhaps open the door towards the normalization of Polish-German relations, which have uh, deteriorated significantly over the past years, I mean, also for other reasons, but very much also driven by Nord Stream 2. So, I mean, there, there would be some diplomatic benefits and some, some costs associated to it. On the legal side, this is really outside my area of expertise, I'm, I, I must admit. There could be, and I mean, this, is, uh, this has been said by uh, representatives of Nord Stream uh, 2 and, uh, and the companies that are invested in it. There, there could, of course, be grounds for compensation claims against the government if this stopped now. But that very much depends on the, on the legal avenues that are being found and used uh, to, to, to stop the pipeline. So I, I think that one we'll have to see. Do you think it would also, um, you say, it could could bring Germany and Poland close together? What what would be the ramifications for Germany's relationship to the United States? I mean, I think it, I think it would also help. So far, Germany has tried to basically make some concessions uh, to to, uh, to U.S. demands in terms of, for instance, supporting the construction of LNG terminals and so forth, but just short of stopping the project. So I think this this would get. One of the difficult areas we have uh, we have with the U.S. right now out of the way. On the other hand, of course, a lot of the others, the trade deficit and so forth, they will remain. But uh, it it could it, it could help. Yeah, I kind of want to return to the opposition in the states and and the threat of sanctions. I mean, the, the companies involved in the Nord Stream two pipeline. They, these are large, you know international companies what would be the effect of sanctions i mean is this a realistic threat and what could the potential consequences of the imposition of sanctions on these large companies what could that do i have to i have to say i'm, I'm not a legal expert it's hard for me to speculate but so far these companies continue to support the project which probably means that either they don't believe this is a credible threat or they think it can be it can be can be managed in some way or, or, or rather the cost of pulling out of Nord Stream 2 would be larger than the probability weighted impact of any sanctions that could be uh, that could be imposed. 
I think the Nord Stream 2 partner that would be most hurt by the sanctions is, uh, or by potential sanctions is clearly Shell because they have a sizable uh, US business. Actually, the, the other European partners, so Uniper, NGOMB, and so forth, uh, and, and so forth actually aren't, aren't that active there, but Shell and um, also, also Wintershall, which are involved they could be heard quite a bit. I think uh, Uniper did flag this uh, at their, in their financial results uh, recently. They, they did mention explicitly that they saw now the potential for this to be cancelled for the first time. And I think it was newsworthy in itself that one of the, the investors in the pipeline uh, flagged I this. I guess they, they acknowledged the risk, but they continue to support the completion. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah, yeah. Just just for, for context and for, for, for listeners' background, just the threat of sanctions introduced at the end of last year by the US was sufficient to deter the Swiss pipeline company, Allseas, from completing the project. So um, it, it, it does depend on, on what the US is prepared to legislate. And a final question, really. Should Joe Biden win the presidential election in November? Would there be would that mark any change, both in tone or strategy or, you know, the threats that are being thrown around at the moment? I think in, I think in tone, in tone, yes. And potentially in terms of some of the harshness of the actions that are being threatened in terms of sanctions and so forth. Yes. But I, I don't think the US, uh, even under a Biden administration, would be comfortable with the project. Hans and Nathan. Thank you very much for joining the Montel Weekly Podcast this week. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. You can now follow the podcast on our own Twitter account, aptly named the Montel Weekly Podcast. Uh, please direct message any suggestions, questions, or let us know if you'd like to be a guest. You can also send us an email to podcast at montelnews.com. Lastly, remember to keep up to date with all that's happening in the energy market on Montel News. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and please leave a review if you can. Thank you and goodbye.